It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Josh Giddy bounces back in a big way, but was this, was this a bad loss for the Oklahoma City Thunder against the LA Lakers? We'll talk about that on today's Locked On Thunder podcast. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder podcast, on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member, and editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LOThunderPod. Email the show, LOThunderPod at gmail.com on today's show. We're going to dive into the Thunder loss to the LA Lakers as Josh Giddy bounces back in a big way. Was this a bad loss? for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and Jalen Williams continues to show high-level stuff night in and night out. Why that's so impressive at this point in the season. This episode's brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com slash lockdown today to get started. And we'll start the way that we always do with our game overview, SGA out in health and safety protocols, plus he has that abdominal strain. Uh, I would I would be a little surprised if he clears health and safety protocols and is still out. I think that once he clears that, I think he'll play. Uh, so just be aware of that and, and how health and safety protocols, of course, are very fluid, and we'll just see whenever he can clear health and safety protocols. Chet Holmgren, out. Poku, out. Kenny Hustle, out. Usman Jang, out. Olivier Saar uh, did not play coach's decision. Kenny Hustle has a wrist injury that he sustained against the Kings and is now out for the season. LeBron was not there. AD, not there. D'Lo, not there. All of them out as well. The starters for OKC were surprising. Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, J-Dub, J-Will. I didn't forget anybody because they also started to center. Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And so it was, a, it was a weird lineup for the Thunder. Uh, they wanted to go bigger to, to kind of help with the rebounding, and they won the rebounding battle. Uh, so that, that of course, did help counteract the bigger Lakers starting five. But ultimately, the question is asked, was this a bad loss? I have a hard time, you know, saying anything's a bad loss in this season, but what's the fun in that? Let's talk about this season as it happens. I understand the frustration because we've all gotten hyped up, as I said on the last podcast, you know, we, we, we've all had our Reese's before we've had our steak, and it, it, we're all excited about the, the possibility of the play in the playoffs and, and every game meaning something again, and having those emotions back is a great thing. And when you look at this game on paper and you see there's no LeBron, no AD, no D-Lo, it, it looks as though the Thunder should absolutely win this without question. I mean, that's what the, the comments were saying uh, whenever I put out the starting lineups in the injury report on Twitter yesterday. Oh, there's no way the Thunder lose this game. While the Lakers did not have superstars in this one, I mean, LeBron James, best of all time, second best of all time, we won't get into that. Anthony Davis, superstar. D'Angelo Russell, a really, really, really well-known guy. 
The Thunder didn't have SGA. And they didn't have Chet, but that's kind of a crutch because they haven't had Chet all year, so they didn't really impact this specific game because we knew they wouldn't have Chet. But think about this, and let's not forget this. The Thunder did not have Shea. By far and away, their best player, their best scorer, their guy, their all-star, their superstar, their all-NBA caliber player. They didn't have SGA. They're one and only guy that's at that level yet. There's other guys that can get there, but he's the only one that's, that's there yet. They also didn't have Chet, but, but again, that's a crutch. We won't really use that. But not having Pokashevsky, not having Kenny Hustle for the second youngest team in NBA history, for a team that does not have experience, for a team that does not have um, a ton of depth in terms of guys ready to play in these sort of environments where it's kind of a must-win feel. When you ask yourself, hey, why'd Mark go back to Jeremiah Robinson Earl after he struggled in the last two games? Because he doesn't have Pokashevsky. Like, if Pokashevsky's healthy, then when Jeremiah Robinson Earl struggles, they don't go back to him. Just as they didn't go back to, 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 to Josh Giddy on Tuesday. Just as they didn't go back to Dort on Tuesday. Like, they, they got pinched. With Jeremiah, the way that he's been playing the last two games offensively, if you had Pokashevsky, he is benched. And Pokashevsky would hopefully, at that point, bring you something better than what Jeremiah Robinson Earl did. Kenneth Williams, another guy that played the small ball five, and at times in this game, the Thunder were able to go small. If you had Kenny Hustle playing the small ball five, or just sliding him to the four, whatever, and having j with him, whatever the case is, that's another guy who can slide out Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Jang isn't ready. You know, of course, Olivia Shard didn't play good, but that's a two-way guy. We won't talk about him. But, like, although the, these aren't top 75 players of all time, the way that the Lakers are missing, these are still very important pieces to why the Thunder win games. I mean, if you think about the season in its totality, I know that Poku's been out for a while, but if you think about the season in its totality, why were the Thunder successful? It was, wow, Pokashevsky's really taking a jump, an unexpected jump, way back in, in October, way back in in September. Mark was telling us that aliens had Pokashevsky drop down, you know, in Oklahoma City, and if we had never seen him before and aliens dropped him down in OKC this year, we would have thought he was a great player. Turned out to be a, a really true sentiment. If you only judge Poku from this season alone, he's a good rotational piece. SGA took a leap to, to, to being an all-NBA caliber guy. Kenny Hustle playing great this year. You've taken out not only some of your better players, but you've taken out your other options. To where there was no one else to rifle through. And... On that same time frame where you no longer have the guys to rifle through, the Lakers had some of their best nights in the sense of Austin Reeves was doing awesome, Dennis was doing awesome, but also as a team, they shot 45% from three. They shot 45% from three. And then we can get into the refs conversation. Look, blaming the refs is a loser lament, and it feels like every single time that the Thunder lose, the only thing that my mentions are flooded with is that the, that the refs suck and the refs are awful. I get it. But even Mark in this game uh, was more frustrated than usual with the refs and working on them the last two games on the sidelines. But also post-game, uh, he made a comment about how, you know, the refs, they just want consistency. If some of those fouls on the Thunder late in that game were, were indeed fouls, then the Lakers should have been hit with more citations uh, earlier in the contest whenever the guys are bouncing off of, of Giddy and J-Dub and, and some of their guys going to the rim. And, and when you look at the free throw disparity, it's hard to argue that because the Thunder were miles and miles and miles better than the Lakers at points in the paint. I mean, they, they dominated the points in the paint 60 to 34, and yet the Lakers dominated the free throw line, and they were there all the time. So the, that's part of it, too. I, I, you know, As much as we don't want to blame the refs, that's part of it, too. Was this a bad loss? I think it's a disappointing loss because now you've lost five straight times. Now you have not won since the All-Star break. 
but but it's it's a fairly explainable loss to where I cannot call it a bad loss. To me, a bad loss was like whenever the OK3 team goes into Orlando and loses, or or, or whenever you know whenever some of these these teams that are expected to win lose those kind of games. This is very disappointing. It can be very disappointing all all you want it to be, but a bad loss to me is is something that it's just almost unexplainable how they lost. And that's semantics, and I get it. And if you want to call it a bad loss, I'm not going to push back on it really at all, if you want to call it a bad loss. Uh, but I would say it's more disappointing. That's kind of the quabble I would have with the verbiage. Because the Lakers really won this game by going on multiple big runs. You know, 17-5 run here, 13-2 to, to, to run here. And the, and the Thunder just did not have a stopper that they could go to. If the Thunder had somebody to, to go stop the bleeding, like SGA, they would have won this game. On the flip side of that coin, you could say if the Lakers had LeBron and, and, and AD, they would have won the game still. So, like, we can go back and forth on this. And at the end of the day, uh, the Thunder had opportunities to win this game, but that's just the way that the cookie crumbles. And it's only it's only compacted and compounded by the fact that you've lost, you know, five straight. The Lakers led by 13 at one point. The Thunder had an eight-point lead of their own. 12 lead changes, seven times tied. The Thunder out-rebounded the L.A. by one rebound. Uh, the Lakers had two more turnovers. OKC shot 48, 27, and 75. The Lakers shot 47, 54, and 79. So when the, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, 45 uh, from three, not 54. But whenever whenever one team is shooting 45% from three and one team is shooting 27% from three, that, that, that's kind of all you need to know right there. And again, the Thunder won points in the paint 60 to 34, but yet did not... Uh, you know, rival them in free throw attempts, which is disappointing, of course, for the Thunder. Uh, the Thunder won fast break points twenty five to seven. The Lakers won second chance points forty of uh, sorry fourteen to six. And in, in this game, the Lakers also went to a zone, which uh, gave the Thunder a little bit of trouble. It's given them the trouble uh, most of the season, including those massive games against Miami. But to me, I understand if you want to call this a bad loss. And again, if you want to comment on YouTube or go on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles on YouTube, uh, Locked on Thunder, if you want to call it a bad loss, you're perfectly within your right, and that is not out of bounds, and that is not wrong. Uh, but I, I just think that we might be underselling. There's no chat. There's no Poku. There's no Kenny. So whenever you're questioning Mark's decisions, when you're questioning the rotation, you have to realize, like, yes, they're not at the level of Anthony Davis, not at the level of LeBron or, or, or D'Lo, but, like, they're still highly important for this team that's already exceeding expectations. If you, if you want to say this team is ahead of schedule, is exceeding expectations, is a playing above their skis, then you have to say it's not good whenever you pull back some of these some of these layers of what made them successful this year. I mean, if 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 you do it based upon pure production and pure talent, not projections, not higher ceilings, not, you know, who would I rather have in five years, but who would I rather have for a game tomorrow? If you did that ranking of the Thunder roster, where does SGA rank? Number one in both cases. But where does Kenny Hustle rank? For a game tomorrow, game for your life, you got to win it. Kenny Hustle moves up that list a lot. Times this season with, with Boku, the way he's been playing, he moves up that list a lot. Like, they're important pieces. And, and, and you lost this game in large part because you didn't have SGA. And if the Lakers would have lost, they'd be saying the same thing about not having LeBron, not having AD. So it was disappointing that they couldn't come up with this win. It's highly impactful if they couldn't. But even still, you look at the standings right now, 
and the Thunder are two and a half out of the play-in, and they're two and a half out of the fifth worst record in the NBA. So this season can still go either direction, and I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow uh, as kind of the whole lead-off segment tomorrow, just as a spoiler alert, but the mindset doesn't have to change. The, the reaction doesn't have to be so, so 180 each and every game. Because had the Thunder won this game, let's admit it, had the Thunder won this game, the fan base would have been dancing in the streets and, and planning a parade on Shields, on, on Shields Boulevard. They've been dancing, lining, lining the highway, right? They're just going to play the season out. And I get it. You've been scorned by, by what's happened the last two years. They're just going to play the season out. And, and it could result in them, in them gaining two games on the 10th seed because you play the, the Lakers again, and that would get you the tiebreaker like, over them if you can win that game. You play the Jazz twice at home uh, this weekend, which if you can win both those games, that goes a long way in the standings. You you have these teams in front of you that you need to climb, plus some games against the Hornets and the Pistons, and and you know you have some games here where it's all still out there to go win it and, and to go to the play-in. And you could also lose these games and, and have some bad losses or disappointing losses or losses where – your youth and experience shows up and you're just not ready to compete in this sort of arena and this sort of mindset. But I, but they're not going to pull the plug. They're not going to go out there and, and, and go sign Josh Hall and Jalen Horde and, 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 and play Olivier Saar 75,000 minutes. They're just going to play. And at the end of the day, they might just not be good if they go to the 10th seed and go to the play this year. And that's okay for the second youngest roster in NBA history. That's okay for a team that we expected to be in the incredible race for Victor Wimignana this year to fall just shy of the play-in. That's okay. That's fine. And the Thunder, I think, are fine with that too, no matter how it lies. And if you want to say, well, you don't want to get caught in the middle, you don't You don't want to be kind of half in the playoffs, half that. that's the worst spot to be in. If the season ended today, the Thunder would have the seventh worst record in the NBA. They would have a 32% chance at the fourth overall, at the top four pick. They would have a 7.5% chance at the first overall pick. And since the lottery odds have flattened, a team has always jumped up. That's fine. And if they make the play in, that means that this young core got, you know, incredible experience and played well above their, their pay grade for now. And is going to get to play in an environment like that. And Mark's going to get to coach in an environment like that. And and everyone was going to get to see what that's like. And if they lose a couple more games down the stretch and they fall to the sixth or the fifth worst record in the NBA, well, then you increase your odds at the lottery. So like it's, it's literally everyone is comfortable with every scenario. It's okay. They're just going to play. They're just going to roll the ball out there. They're going to tip it off, and they're going to see what happens. And we should all be very excited about that. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. But coming up, let's talk about Josh Kitty's amazing bounce-back game and how great that he played in this one. But first, I want to tell you right now about our good friends over at FanDuel. FanDuel is incredible, folks. FanDuel is where you want to be. FanDuel.com slash lockdown, to be exact, to make every moment more. FanDuel.com slash lockdown is an incredible sports book. It's the best sports book uh, for my money. And in my opinion... They have the best prep bets. They have the best over-unders. They have the best lines, spreads, everything. So download today and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bet backs if your first bet does not win. So go there right now, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, offers fast withdrawals, and you can bet on everything and anything. So let's go over there right now to FanDuel.com and their sportsbook. NBA games. 
You can bet on the Lakers. I'm sorry. You can bet on the Mavericks 76ers game tonight. That'll be a fun one. Mavericks, despite their struggle since uh, having Kawhi and uh, Kawhi, having Kyrie and having Luka and, and, and not getting the same page and the loss to the, uh, the Pacers, despite their struggle, the Mavericks are three-point favorites at home against the 76ers. Personally, I take the Sixers plus three. Uh, I get it that the, that the Mavericks are the home team, but I still, I still think they're going in. You can bet on that at FanDuel.com right now. So go there right now to the, to the FanDuel.com slash locked on and the Sportsbook app, FanDuel.com slash locked on. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast. On the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. For your next listen, please check out the Game to Game Podcast for a nightly recap of what happened in everything around the association the night before. Check it out today. So, we're still talking Thunder basketball, and let's talk Josh Giddy bounce back. Josh Giddy was great. 34 minutes, 58% from the floor, one for four from three, 22 points, nine rebounds, 11 assists, four turnovers. One was a palming violation, which, you know, how often is that going to get called repeatedly? So, like, let's say three true playmaking turnovers, which is which is by far acceptable for, like, a lead ball handler. Uh, he had some beautiful bounce passes to Dort. He had some strong finishes. Uh, he was hunting out mismatches. He was being way more aggressive in this game. And I think that that was a good sign for a young player to have a bad game Tuesday and come back and just change everything and, and flip it on its head and almost have a triple-double and he got one more rebound. That is impressive. That shows a lot about where he's at in his maturity and his development. And Kenny Hustle said after the game on Tuesday that he knew that Josh would bounce back and Dort would bounce back, and, and, and they did for sure. Josh played excellent. And in this game... Not only was he more aggressive hunting those mismatches, not only was he more aggressive going to the rim and not settling for the floaters unnecessarily. He still, of course, got his floaters off. There was a time where he was racing down the lane, and then uh, I believe it was Mobamba that was uh, tracking him and, and sliding over from the low block to, to kind of contest the, the the drive, and he pulled up just shy of Bamba and, and got a layup on, uh, floater on him. Uh, besides the, the instances where you actually had to shoot a floater, Josh Giddy was aggressive in this one to the rim, and that's that's been his key to success. Whenever he went on that good stretch in December, he talked about how you know, the difference had been I was no longer settling or, or no longer relying on the floater. I was actually getting a downhill more, getting deeper in to the paint, and it, and it worked out. It did in this game as well. Uh, and, and we all know what his passing ability is, but I still think that we shouldn't take it for granted of how good he is at passing. This guy has unreal anticipation, like just unreal feel for what's going to happen. If, if you go back and you really look at his assists, and you can do this, on NBA.com, go to the box score of, of any game you want to. You can click on his assist, and if you click on that little blue number assist, it'll pop it up and show you every single assist from that game uh, from Josh Kitty. And you also can like tweak the the playback speed. If you do that and just watch it over and over and over again, you can see the wheels turning. You can see how before the player he's about to pass to even moves, Josh Kitty has looked over there, looked off the defense started the motion to pass, and then the ball's just waiting there once the player decides to move. And, and that that is something that I think is 
exceptional and elite for Josh Giddy, and something that I think is only going to get better as you play more games with these guys, as you as you understand their tendencies more. Because you, you can see, you know, the, the kind of players in which he has an anticipatory skill with. It's guys he's played with for a while. It's getting there with J-Dub as well, uh, for sure. I mean, him and J-Dub have gotten on the same page quickly uh, on uh, on deciding when these guys are going to cut, what their, what their next move is going to be. And the way that he can anticipate what the defense is going to do and thus set up his players and, and put them in position to, to succeed is awesome. It, it's great to see. And I, and I just can't wait. It, everything goes and ties back to Chet. Like, this is another area. You know, we talked about how Chet can help SGA a lot. The, the fact that Chet can do so many things and Giddy can put guys in so many different positions with his passes and bend the defense and, and is able to move them around, it's going to be awesome to watch them all uh, work and find their groove together. Uh, but in this game, the, the anticipation, the, the looking over of defenses to where he can free up a guy was great, and the bounce back was great. It, it's just awesome to see him... Uh, kind of fight through some adversity uh, after a really strong December and January even. J-Dub, his ability to not hit that rookie wall whenever these guys, like we forget rookies, like this isn't a video game. This isn't 2K. This isn't like like numbers on a, on a stat sheet. Like these guys are playing more basketball than they've ever played in their lives. Like these guys are playing more games than ever before. And for J-Dub to already be prepared to do that, for, to already um, be prepared to not be running on fumes right now, not to be struggling, not to hit a rookie wall, but also not to level out. Like, he's also getting better every single game. Like, he's he's not leveling out. It's just a, hey, it's a good rookie season. We know what he's going to do every single night. Like, no, every single night, he's, he's becoming a better and better player. He's a high-level decision maker. I think that that can really get improved. Uh, even, I mean, I think that that can like the more that we see it, not, not necessarily improved in the sense of like he gets better, but like we're more comfortable saying he's an elite decision maker. But for right now, he's actually a very high level decision maker. It's why he's so effective from the floor. It's why he's so effective with the ball in his hands as a playmaker. I mean, the fact that this guy can go from playing primarily off ball to these last few games, playing on ball more and drop, you know, seven assists here, double digit assists there. Like the fact that he can do that just on a flip of a switch shows his maturity as a player, but also shows his, his basketball uh, savviness of like, he understands situations. He understands defenses. He understands um, what's going to happen and what needs to happen. Like there's a time in this game uh, where the thunder uh, let up a couple free throws and they had to get those points back in a hurry. If they want to stay competitive in this game. And what did he do for a guy that we talk about needs to be more aggressive for a guy that we talk about needs to be more assertive. He understood the situation. He got the inbound pass. He ran as fast as he could on the floor and just dunked the ball. And, and, and that allowed the Thunder to, what, that after that, get it to a five-point game and then set up a wide-open Isaiah Joe three with five you know, five points down to, if it would have hit, would have put him down two. And we've seen at times that the Thunder defense can force guys to make mistakes in the inbound. That's why Mark likes to go for the quick two because it's hard to inbound these balls uh, whenever, it's, whenever it's late in games. Like, his basketball awareness is so high and so keen for a guy that's, you know, 21 years old. Like, it's awesome to see. And he's not only going to do it as a score, as a passer, uh, as, as a guy with the ball in his hands, he's also going to fight. He's going to fight you. He's going to get four rebounds, but they're all going to be scrappy. He's going to go in there and play the passing lanes and claw his way there to get a couple steals in this one as well. Two steals for him. Uh, three for five from three. I think that one of the best plays from him was a miss. I think that one of the best plays from him for a guy who under, who understands I need to be more aggressive even at the cost of you know possibly shooting percentages or, or whatever the case is. He steps into a very contested three. Um, and that was the right moment in the game to do it, and it missed. But you still like to see that um, flips, you know, switch flip for him, uh, where he's now being more assertive and more dominant 
in what he wants to do offensively. Another like interesting thing that, that that I see whenever I watch him is just the way that he contorts his body at the rim. Like it, it, he's almost always going to be like the rim is here and his body is like shifted to the side and he just plops the ball in. It, it's wild the body control that he has. Those scoop layups that he pulls off, which if you remember Shay's first year in OKC, the big thing was was how great he was at scoop layups. You know. Jalen Williams has that too. Like Jadup has that too. And where like he's able to have the body control and the grip strength to, to kind of have the ball, push it through the defense with his length and just scoop it up off the glass uh, for an easy layup despite having to maneuver through trees. All these different ways to score and impact the game have been just jaw-dropping for J-Dub and Kenny Hustle. Uh, Tuesday even said that, um, you know, he still thinks that J-Dub can, has that all-star potential and we're seeing that kind of actualized right now in terms of the potential. And then we'll see where he's at next year, the year after, and, and for many, many years in OKC, which I think is going to be awesome. We'll talk about Isaiah Joe. We'll talk about Dario Sarch uh, and the rest of the Thunder team, plus what's to come on Locked on, Th- Locked on Thunder, all coming up. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're back on the Locked On Thunder Podcast. On the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. Folks, Isaiah Joe. He's awesome. Clutch threes, 15 points, three assists, a steal, two rebounds, three for nine from three. He went two for two inside the yard, a couple mid-range jumpers uh, for him. He played really good defense despite foul trouble. Now, and again, really good defense is great on a curve because Isaiah Joe is not going to be a Lou Dort. It's not going to be a Dylan Brooks stopper, like uh, you know, a, a, a Alex Caruso type of guy. Uh, but Isaiah Joe is able to play defense. He's able to be acceptable on that end of the floor. And for an undersized player, someone who who is not a great defender, but a, but but a good at staying in front of his guys and staying attached to his guys that he's that he's assigned with defending, to get in foul trouble really early, fresh off the bench, quick two fouls, and then get up to five fouls in this game, but still balance playing that tight, aggressive defense. And what I praise with Joe's defense is how he's always attached to the hip of his guy. He, he's always kind of step for step with him. To, to stay that way while battling foul trouble from the moment you get in the game is really good to see from Isaiah Joe because some players, when they get in foul trouble, they either overreact or underreact. And if they underreact, then they're just a, a, a traffic cone out there. They're, they're, they're going to let up everything against them because they're so petrified of getting that additional foul. If you overcorrect, then you're pressing, then you're trying to do too much and maybe trying to help too much and trying to impact the game in some other way, and you quickly pick up the additional fouls. Isaiah Joe kept playing his game, kept playing his style of defense, and he didn't foul out. And Mark stuck true to his philosophy of, let's just let this guy play. And if he fouls out, he fouls out. If he doesn't, in all likelihood, he won't. And once again, Mark plays a guy with foul trouble, and the guy doesn't foul out. And that's why Mark believes in not taking guys out when they get into foul trouble. But another area where Joe was impressive was, you know, he just had a run of starting here where he played excellent, 20 points plus each game and uh, was rocking and rolling and, and feeling really good. And then 
comes in the next day and he's on, he's coming off the bench and still plays really, really well. That adaptability, that changing of your routine, especially so abruptly as a, as a back-to-back, like that in and of itself is another way that we look at Isaiah Joe and project him to be a very impactful piece of what the Thunder want to do moving forward. To be able to have a guy who's going to stay the same, starting, not starting, playing, not playing, you know, playing 20 minutes, playing 10 minutes as just a quick spurt, a spark plug for the offense. Like to have a guy who's going to be the exact same and react the exact same and play the exact same way um, in those minutes. And again, not try to do too much, not try to overcorrect, undercorrect, or whatever. Just play his game. That is huge for as this roster continues to get flushed out. And you never know what you need night in and night out. And as you start to play in these games where winning and, and, and strategy is at the forefront, there's going to be games where you want to play bigger, as they wanted to tonight, and started bigger, and started bigger on the glass, and wanted to, and wanted to kind of remove from that, from that starting lineup and, and, and keep the Lakers off the glass and, and win them the rebounding battle. There's going to be games where, hey, this is going to be a track meet. Like, this is going to be a game where if we don't score 150, not going to win. Just not going to win. There is a scenario where if this team is fully healthy, and I'm including chat, like if this team is fully healthy next year, like amazingly healthy, and they play a team like the Kings where Isaiah Joe could be off the bench for 20 straight games. And then that game against the Kings, the starting lineup is is, is Shay, Josh, Joe, J-Dub, Chet. Like just get everyone out there offensively that we can and see where the ball bounces for OKC to start the game. And he'd be comfortable in that role. There's also going to be a lot of games where he comes off the bench next year. And, and to have that same steady hand and that same production level um, is awesome for Isaiah Joe. Dario Saric also played really well uh, for the second straight game. I think he plugs in nicely what OKC is doing. I said it at the time of the trade, like Saric and Muscala, I mean, they're going to give you the same stuff. Like they're going to be the same level of production. And Saric, 13 points, two rebounds, one for two from three, 83% from the floor. Uh, I still struggle to see anything long-term with him because he's an expiring contract and roster spots are so valuable. Uh, and, and these things uh, are hard to manage, right? Because technically speaking, like if you wanted to make next year's roster the best possible roster you could, would you pick Sarch over some of these younger guys? I think that you would, but is that not seeing the forest through the trees? Like, is that a short-sighted move versus a long-sided move. So, like, that's a decision that the Thunder are going to have to balance and the Thunder are going to have to take into account this summer. So it wouldn't shock me either way. Like, my job will not be on the floor if Sarge is here next year or or not. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a philosophy question more so than a right or wrong question. We'll have plenty of time this offseason to tackle that. Uh, so, but it, I like what Sarge brings to the table for OKC. Some other notes, Wiggins continues to play really well. Uh, Lindy Waters has gotten so much better defensively this year. Like he is he is a much more engaged defender this year, which I thought was awesome for Lindy. And he and he's at times struggled uh to shoot the ball as a as a sharp shooter, only shooting 37% from three this year. But in this game, he had way more of those timely threes. Like before with Lindy Waters, like he shot 37% from three, but it felt like every wide open, the game is tied, the Thunder need this one, it swings to Lindy and it somehow misses. And, and, that, and that is way more, you know, kind of anecdotal evidence than it is like analytical evidence, but like it just felt that way. And in this game, he hit a lot of timely threes for OKC, even though, the, even though they lost. Uh, Jay Will set some really good screens, some really wipeout screens in this one, and had that rolling slam to the rim and also had 12 rebounds, so shout out to Jay Will as well. MVP of this game, it's Josh Giddy. It is Josh Giddy. Coming up next, 
we're going to talk about the Thunder on tomorrow's show and the bad narratives around the Thunder and the bad mindset that a lot of us get into with this Thunder roster. Plus, we're going to recap the Jazz game on Saturday and the Jazz game on Monday. Back-to-back Jazz games. How about that? And a Stockwatch episode on Tuesday, and we're just going to continue to roll this thing out uh, every single day. So make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe on every podcasting platform. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. And until tomorrow, be good and be good to one another. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 